Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for your support on Patreon, making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate, relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, good old-fashioned sex. I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. What does a personal journey or struggle as an artist look like? What makes someone decide to make sexual art? What have they learned from photographing over 500 different people having sex? And how has seeing the work affecting other people changed the work itself? And how does that affect you as an artist? Today I interview Ricardo. He's garnered a reputation for making unique, multi-layered, provocative work in film and photography. He grew up in Toronto and attended both the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design and the University of Waterloo. He started his career as a fashion photographer and then later as a fine art nude photographer. He has had 12 gallery showings of his work and his first book of photographs, a collaboration with noted Canadian poet George Eliot Clark, was published in November of 2005. His second book, The Goddess Project, I've seen some of this, it's, it's quite good, was completed in 2010. You can find it online if you want at sexgoddessproject.com. I encourage you to check it out. Never idle for long, he moved on and was working on his second book and then, or sorry, his third book rather, and then his fourth book. Um, he was finishing that in 2012, which was The Goddess Project Book 2. And then his fifth book was The Goddess Project Book 3. He started his 10th book, The Intimacy Project, in 2020. Um, but his first feature film, I'm just going to read you his bio here, um, titled When, was an irrepressibly brutal and comedic portrayal of a dysfunctional struggling actress in New York. His second feature film, titled Watershed, was the first independent feature film in North America to be shot in digital high definition, breaking ground with its technical and narrative accomplishments. His third feature film, Finder of Lost Children, set in the Caribbean in a Caribbean community in Canada, is a poignantly moving and humorous story of two half-sisters that meet for the first time at the funeral of the father neither one of them knew. So, he does a lot of work. He's a really cool guy. I do a session with him and talk a lot about the importance of representation of BIPOC folks in spaces that are supposed to be sex on premises or sex positive and various barriers that we sort of experience, especially black folks um, and indigenous folks in these spaces. So I won't say enjoy. And now that we are done the bio, let's get started with Ricardo here on Intimate Interactions. Welcome everyone to another episode of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Ricardo Scipio. My partner was just messaging with me and we were talking about the show little fires everywhere are you familiar with that one yeah i am yes it is like basically hey white people this is why people of color don't always love well-meaning white liberals (laughs) (laughs) yes 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 uh so i've actually i've actually had more problems with liberals from liberals than i have from rednecks actually I would believe that at least with people who are like straight up identifying as racists, you know where they stand and it's not jarring or upsetting in the same way. 
Totally. And they're also not in denial. They, they right. you know, you know, the, you know, so, you know, yeah, they're I, in some ways they're, they're an easier quantity to, to deal with. Um, the well-meaning liberals have messed me up so many times. Um, <laughs> like, for example, uh, sorry, I, you know, I'm talking a lot. But, no, go for it. Um, like for once, for once, this at one point, the CBC called me in, um, you know, t- to interview me as a, a potential writer, and uh, because they were getting a lot of criticisms for not having writers of color. <laughs> sure. And so I sat at the, at, in the in the boardroom being interviewed, and it was being interviewed by five or six people. They were all sort of older white people with um, white hair. Um, I think all of them had a white hair, and they weren't like wearing like tweed jackets. I think there was one woman, <laughs> but they were wearing like those tweed jackets with like the leather patches at the elbow. Really? Oh yeah. And they all had British accents except for one. I think uh, sounded like an actual you know, Canadian born person. And that is just uh, weird. Yeah. And so, um, they told me they, you know, I, they were asking me, um, <laughs> what, you know, what I was interested in writing. And I was talking to them about that and they said, Oh yeah. Um, we don't want any us and them stories. We don't want any stories about how difficult life is in Canada for, you know, for people of color. We just want, we want stories where people are getting along. <laughs> That's what they told me. Wow. And they said, oh, by the way, we couldn't understand what the initials were on your, on your script because I, I, I sent them like um, uh, a summary of, of something I wanted to write called BBMF. And they said, they asked me, what does BBMF stand for? And I was so embarrassed. And I had to say like in the softest voice I could, um, it stands for big black motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I, you know, I, was, I wrote a story about this really badass guy who um, has been in jail for like eight years and he gets released and um, he gets befriended by like an older guy, an older black guy. And okay. um, he, the other guy, black guy come, becomes like a father figure to the guy and tries to sort of help him see the world differently and behave differently. And it kind of works. Um, He, he, um, you know, it's not easy, but um, he eventually starts taking more responsibility for the chaos and (laughs) and destruction he's created everywhere he's gone. And he kind of finds different mechanisms to deal with the pain that he's in because he 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 lashed out and behaved badly because he because of being in pain not because of being some like inherently evil person mm-hmm. and so yeah that was the play that was the, the idea that yeah he was a big black motherfucker but you know even you know big black motherfuckers can you know have something to contribute <laughs> if they you know if they so choose um and he became you know kind of a positive force in the community um he would be, go around and try and quell beefs between rival gangs because oh wow both you know all the gangs were afraid of him <laughs> so he, sure. he was like the perfect sort of ambassador to go around and try and you know squash beefs before it, before they developed into gunplay so uh right yeah. right yeah <laughs> and i was actually going to try and spin it off into a tv series because i thought um 
it'd be interesting because in the story, there's one of his friends from the old days who doesn't like his transformation and, mm-hmm. you know, basically becomes sort of an enemy of his and tries to trip him up and tries to get him, you know, to violate his parole and, and get sent back to jail. So mm. um, I thought that, you know, could spin off more into a TV series than just a, a one-off story. But anyways, they were, mm. ha- they were having none of it. <laughs> they were having none of it. You should have seen the, exp- the expressions on their faces when I told them what the initials stood for. Yeah, I can only imagine. Scandalized, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I was worried that I might have sent a, a couple of them to the hospital. Um, so, <laughs> so needless to say, I got no job at the CBC. Mm-mm. No, no, no. I wasn't. But on the plus side, you did go on to photograph lots of people having sex. And I'm not to derail your CBC story. <laughs> where, did you have more to that? <laughs> uh, no. That way I, you, thank you. You were gracious enough to let me get that off my chest. <laughs> it sounded like you wanted to talk about it. Well, I kind of needed to talk about it. This is, you know, cath- cath- cathartic, right? Um, mm-hmm. you're, act- you're actually the only um, interviewer that has ever asked me about uh, my experiences as a, as a person of color. So uh, this is crazy. Really? Yeah. No one's ever asked. <laughs> uh, no. Nope. Fair enough. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you're most welcome. You're also so, uh, the, the first person of color that's ever interviewed me. So uh, thank you. Oh, I'm touched to be honored as the first person to interview who is a person of color. Yeah, you, you took my virginity. <laughs> <laughs> was it as good for you as it was for me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, it's never as good as the first time, as Sade says. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. It just reminds me of that song. It feels like the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sing it, brother. Sing it. (laughs) (laughs) So so in terms of now that we're talking about first times and sex. Yeah. um, You photographed a lot of people having sex. I think in the questions you sent me, you mentioned it was over 500 people having sex. Yes. What have you learned about sex and people? Oh my God, I could write a book on what I've learned. And I'm still, I'm, I'm still learning all the time. Um, the first thing I learned was that your ability to give and receive pleasure has no relationship to the package you're in. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter how fat you are, how thin you are, how, you know, supposedly beautiful you are or not, or any of that stuff just mm-hmm. ha- has, does not matter. I have seen... You know, I photographed people that were well over 300 pounds, um, and mm-hmm. and they were throwing it down like there's no tomorrow, and I was so like in awe, <laughs> and uh, and um, and I've seen people that were stereotypically the most gorgeous people that society would you know would li- put that label on, sure. not be able to throw down. So I mean, um, mm-hmm. so one um, definitely has nothing to do with the packaging. Um, and as a spinoff to that story, it was, you know, it was so, um, heart filling for me. Um, and so inspirational to see, um, people adoring people, um, people that you normally wouldn't see like the people over 60 years old, or, mm-hmm. you know, the very, very large people or, or whatever, um, or people that people of color, 
people are f physically challenged. Like I photographed sure. uh, one couple where the man uh, had cerebral has cerebral palsy, mm -hmm. um, and you know the adoration that was in that room was amazing. Um, and you know, so yeah, you know the stereotypes are are garbage uh, for sure. Um, so that's one lesson um, mm -hmm. that I learned. Another lesson is just a lesson in diversity. Um, there are just so many different ways that people have sex and for so many, mm -hmm. so many different reasons and on so many different levels. Um, it's a whole, um, it's a whole world onto itself full of, you know, darkness and, and, and full of light. Um, I've seen things that have traumatized me. I've seen people do things to each other that really traumatized me. <laughs> um, and I've seen people do things with each other and for each other that have kind of made me believe again in higher, a higher power. <laughs> it's got, <laughs> it, it, it really, you know, spans that spectrum. Um, I've seen some fucked up shit. I've seen people use sex as a way to control and, you know, denigrate and abuse other people, mm -hmm. um, which is not so cool, but I wasn't there to judge. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm there to receive, I'm a receiver and people would s say to me, um, I love the way that you capture photos. And I'm like, I'm, I don't capture. That's kind of like predatory. I'm not a hunter. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, a re I'm a receiver. Um, I consider it my job to open myself up and to be a way of receiving what other people you know, want to give. And I'm the sort of mm -hmm. conduit between them and, and the viewer. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I didn't consider it my place to judge. I didn't as much as I could, um, judge. And, um, so yeah, so some of the things I received was, you know, was fucked up. <laughs> a lot of what I received was just great. Um, and I, I you know, I'm, and I, it, to me, it's a great honor. It's a great honor when people, uh, invite you into their in intimacy and, mm -hmm. and allow you, you know, to, to spend some time with them. And, and it takes a, a great generosity on the part of my models because they're not being paid mm -hmm. and, and, you know, sure. I mean, they're getting the photos and, you know, there's a great benefit, um, you know, to, sure. to, to, to being photographed, um, by a good photographer and being able to see yourself in a way, you know, from a perspective that you wouldn't be able to see when you're just sort of taking shots on your iPhone or whatever. Um, sure. but they're doing this knowing that it's going to be shared with other people. Um, and in our, yeah. in our society, people are, can often be so twitchy about other people, you know, seeing their intimate images for good reason. Um, there's lots of revenge porn and all kinds of shit going on out there. Um, so, you know, these people are, I, I, in my opinion, are being quite generous and they're giving up, up a bit of themselves, um, not only for the now, but also for the future, because I hope in 20 years, 30 years, people will look back and, you know, still be able to get a lot out of the images that we're making right now or images that we made before. Mm -hmm. So, so it's been a great honor, uh, to receive that generosity, um, from people and, 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 and just to, 
and also I, I don't just shoot in Vancouver. I've shot all over uh, Canada and all over the States. Um, mm -hmm. I usually spend four or four and a half months sleeping in my van, <laughs> you know, driving, you know, from here to Nova Scotia and back. And, um, and it's also just great to, um, you know, to go to different communities. Um, I've shot all over the place. In fact, at one point, I had done more shoots in Lethbridge, Alberta than I'd had done in Vancouver. <laughs> That's so cool. No, no joke. And no joke. And, and actually, I've probably had the most amount of support from the mo most redneck pr province in Canada, Alberta. I've had so much support in Alberta. It's crazy. Um, so go figure, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so it, it's also just great to you know go to these different communities and see the different ways that people live and think and believe. And it makes a difference um, where you live. Um, does have an impact on how you have sex or um, mm -hmm. how, how you express yourself and stuff like that. So um, that's been interesting to learn too, is that uh, it differs from place to place um, to some degree as, as well. And it, di mm -hmm. it differs um, in, in age groups. The way that younger people have been having sex in front of my camera is, is quite different than how older people um, having having sex in front of my camera, I can. Actually... I have to ask. I have to interrupt. Yeah. Tell me the difference. I'm so curious. Well, I can tell usually by how people are having sex, how much porn they've watched. Interesting. <laughs> and so, with the younger people, um, their sex is often more porn influenced than the older people. Interesting. Uh, and that's a broad generalization. There are some older people that watch lots of porn. Mm -hmm. But um, even if they watch lots of porn, they didn't necessarily grow up with lots of yeah. porn. Whereas um, with a lot of young people, from the very first time they started thinking about sex, um, they've had access to lots of porn. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, um, there's that. And also um, the younger women in general are not as submissive <laughs> as the older women. They seem, Interesting. they seem to have more agency and more ownership. And a lot of the younger guys are more willing to switch um, wow. than the older guys. I, I, there wasn't a lot of older guys switching. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so there's a lot more gender fluidity and a lot more, uh, you know, queer influence and, and just Beautiful. And a lot more pansexuality and demisexuality and sapiosexuality and all that stuff going on. I think for the younger generations, um, things have just opened up so much. Um, and especially us getting rid of these archaic gender prisons, right? Um, mm -hmm. Where people are f more free to be trans and to be pansexual or inter- you know, interstitial or, or what is that? Intersexual or what is that term? Intersectional. Intersectional. Yes. Um, I think that's had a big impact from what I see of, of, of younger, um, people. Um, so yeah. And, you know, so yeah, I, I do, you know, I do see, um, I do see a difference and, um, yeah. And I also see, um, a difference between, 
people that are more sort of poly and more sort of um, relationship anarchists than people that are in more traditional sort of vanilla uh, type or not vanilla, right. but more monogamous um, uh, kind of like normative relationships mm -hmm. instead of normative. You're thinking more polyamory, like consensual non-monogamy, that family. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um, I see a difference in lovemaking in those two um, different um, uh, realities as well. Dish, uh, dish. Okay. <laughs> um, um, what, I'm seeing um, more of um, more of an emphasis on non-penetration, <laughs> more of an emphasis on uh, different ways to use toys, different ways to use uh, imagination and scenarios, um, different ways of using uh, switching of dynamics as a way of mm -hmm. arousal. Um, there's more queer influence almost. There's more of queer influence. And I think um, less, uh, there seems to be a less of an emphasis on penetration. Um, mm -hmm. it's not, not all about just sort of humping and pumping for 10 to 15 minutes and then, you know, <laughs> having, a, having a cigarette. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a, you know, a lot of emphasis on play of, of lots of different kinds of play. Like I, mm -hmm. I photographed, um, a couple of people where literally, I think they spent at least half an hour scratching each other before they did anything else. Awesome. And it was amazing. It was, I, I was mesmerized and the, and the ritual quality of it and the unhurried, mm. the, the unhurriedness of it. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, like, like almost like timelessness. I almost felt like time disappeared and they were just so into this vortex that they created around each other and they were completely oblivious to me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. Um, it's so fascinating. The things that, um, that people do, um, I, I, I find it fascinating. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, Me too. I'm not doing, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing it justice. I'm not good enough with words to, to really do it justice, but, uh, well, this, I, this is why you take pictures, but you know what? You're pretty good with words. <laughs> um, you're at least as good as I am. So, you know, you're, so. you're doing well. I disagree, Dr. King, but that's okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're so well-spoken. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, some of the stuff that I've, you know, that I've learned. Um, and um, let me think, what else have I learned? No, I think that's, I think that's the big, you know, I think that's the, you know, the big ones. I really appreciated the way you captured the idea of unhurriedness. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like one of my favorite things about queer sex, even if it's, you know, a, a female, an assigned female at birth person and an assigned male at birth person, you can still have like queer culture type sex. If there's, you know, like typically for me, queer sex involves more turn taking. It's exactly like you said, it tends to be less penetration. Um, and not only is there like, turn taking and, and switching more there's this lack of hurriedness like you like you said there's this bubble where the experience you're having is unique and intimate in a way that 
we know before I realized that I was non-binary and sort of came out, I mean, I've all, I've never really fit the mold growing up. I never fit the mold, you know, masculinity never quite worked for me properly, but you know, I'm still not, like I said, like I, I use they, them pronouns primarily, but I, I will, I will take he, him pronouns and I'm not typically too upset about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, there's something about how much less special heterosexual sex feels somehow. It's like everyone's seen it, not just in porn, but there's the script, like, you know what you're doing. Whereas in queer sex, it's not about trying to be something because there isn't, there isn't a role model. There isn't a script to follow. I think, I think you're onto something there. I think it's the lack of a roadmap and it's, and it's more about mm. being in the moment, not having a specific agenda and just sort of, you know, exploring. And what I've noticed is often it's not the same way twice. Like I've, you know, there are mm. people that I've, I've photographed multiple times and, and it's different each time because it's more spontaneous. It's like, okay, what mood are we in today? Uh, how is the energy flowing today? <laughs> how, you know, how can we represent that, um, the, the, that energy and, and, and all that stuff. And so, yeah, it's, and I think, I think that could be a thing. I think that, uh, if more people who were in monogamous sort of heterosexual relationships could see more of how other people, queer people and non-binary people, uh, make love and have sex and exchange mm -hmm. pleasure, I think they would be better off. I, I, I really, you know, I really do think that. I've, I've long felt if we taught consent from the perspective of BDSM, where it's very serious and, you know, you could really hurt someone, you could, you know, be ostracized by your community and you, you take that into more of the university setting and you just teach good consent practices and you're just like, no, you can do all the crazy stuff you want to do, but you really need to, you know, reduce the risk you're taking look at your risk profile understand how these things interact understand how competent someone is to give consent like it's not like people don't want to have sex with you it's just a question of like how that happens and what the context is but when you're young you don't always know that yes and again porn puts yes. uh, weird ideas in people's heads yeah <laughs> everyone you know too many people are fantasizing about being that pizza delivery guy right <laughs> So, yeah, uh, um, yeah, it, it's funny because in a way um, I started this journey in sort of like the worst way someone could start the journey. I, yeah, um, tell me more. When I was 10 years old, I discovered a stack of Playboy magazines on the street. Someone had just thrown them out uh, with, the, mm -hmm. with the newspaper and it was a big stack of Playboys. So my friend and I snatched them up and we went of course. and we were looking at them and you know, it literally blew my 10 year old mind. I mean, my mind was mm -hmm. not prepared for that in any way, shape or form. I'd had, sure. I'd had no, no sex education. I didn't even, I had a, some idea of what sex was. I mean, I knew you, it involved genitals, but I didn't really know sure. what it was. Um, and I'd certainly had never seen, you know, women's bodies. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, it, it really blew my mind. And I think it took a long time for me to realize how it affected me. And um, in a way, so that was the bad part is, you know, it set me up for a couple of decades of, you know, of consuming 
you know, a fair bit of porn. Mm -hmm. Um, but in another way, um, sort of on an artistic level or whatever, I think it planted the seed in my head that these images are quite powerful, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and like a lot of powerful tools, um, you know, they can be used, sure. you know, poorly, <laughs> uh, they can, they can be, they can be misused or, you know, they, you know, they have p- inherent power in them and they could, you know, they could be used for something positive if, if someone had a mind to do it that way. Um, so I, I think I knew early on that images of nudity and images of sex were quite powerful. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it started me with a lifelong, sort of relationship with them and other than watching porn i really didn't do much with it sort of in my teens um up until my early 20s and then when i was in art school my photography professor in art school told us that the only kinds of photographs that were good were landscape photography and street photography and everything else was crap (laughs) okay I'm serious. <laughs> which, which is why uh, you photograph sex in the streets and sex in open landscape. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for, you know, a class project, I brought in a nude um, that I'd taken of a friend of mine. Um, and, you know, he lost his shit. And we had like this 45-minute. Really? Yeah, yeah, he lost his shit. And we had a 45-minute screaming match where we just screamed at each other. Uh, at close range for like over 40 minutes while the rest of the class wow. was, to- was totally appalled. And we screamed at each other until we were both could not speak anymore. And we were both crying. <laughs> I mean, that's wow. Uh, yeah. And I got a, 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 you know, I got a did not complete. <laughs> 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 so I can actually uh, proudly say that I'm, you know, that I'm, you know, that I flunked out of photography school, but, um, but anyways, um, yeah, I, you know, Interesting. Part, of that, part of that was just rebellion, but part of it was, you know, me wanting to photograph nudes. I mean, I, to mm-hmm. me, um, the human body is, you know, if not the most, the second most consistent theme in art from the beginning. And mm-hmm. coming from an African culture, um, nude carvings, you mm-hmm. know, are you know, such a big part of the culture. So to me, um, you know, I was not going to be a street photographer or a landscape photographer. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, but it also made me realize that, um, not everyone was going to be very supportive <laughs> of my choice. <laughs> um, yeah. so in, you know, from the age of 20, uh, to 25 i was you know a fashion photographer and shooting models and all that good stuff mm-hmm. and when i got tired of that and got depressed because all my you know friends were dying of aids during the aids epidemic um right. i you know decided to switch to photographing nudes and that's when i did the nudes of you know black men and women um in color and mm-hmm. that was you know that was great um always lost money on it. Um, never made money, but it was, it was great to do. And, um, and I was happy doing that. And I was, you know, I was going to continue doing that. And then a couple of things happened that sort of pushed me on the path of, uh, photographing sex, but I never wanted, uh, to photograph sex. Um, I really, 
Yeah, I never wanted to. And I avoided it for almost 23 years. Um, wow. But, but there became a point where I couldn't avoid it anymore. But I just knew, I knew that even just doing nudes, you get a lot of backlash from society. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you get you even get in trouble from Facebook. You get in Facebook jail. Sure. You get, you know, my account got deleted from it by Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Um, so even just, that's just with nude, nudity. People have mm-hmm. an issue with nudity. Um, but uh, when... And it you, doesn't even have to be full nudity. No, it doesn't have to be full nudity. There was a campaign... Um, subway campaign in Toronto, um, I think for Benetton, um, where they were showing just little part, little partial shots of people's butts. <laughs> and right. they had to pull that down. There was such an outcry in Toronto. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. So, um, I knew, so I knew, you know, it's a problematic area. And, um, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to really, you know, being a black man in Canada is problematic enough. I didn't want to like, you know, have a bunch of other problems to deal with. So, uh, yeah. I, I was resistant to doing it, but, um, there was one time I was shooting a 70 year old woman, um, in the forest, you know, from my non-sexual nudes and, mm-hmm. and during the shoot, um, just sort of without warning, she started masturbating and gave herself a big orgasm. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what to do, so I just kept shooting, and we didn't talk about it afterwards. So I just thought it was a one-off. I just thought, okay, that was weird, but okay. But then shortly after, it happened again with a 53-year-old, and I was like, okay, huh? okay, this is not a one-off. Something's up. So I started, you know, talking to people that I had photographed, and they had said, yeah, dummy, um, we wanted to express ourselves more sexually and you wouldn't let us. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh geez. Okay. Um, I'm, you know, I'm restricting my, my people mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm suppressing them and that's not cool. And I got to sort of get over my hangups. And I, you know, was like, because it took me a long time to end my relationship with porn. And right. I finally, got over my habit of watching porn. And the way I got over it is I want to date this person. And, um, and she asked me if I watched porn and I said, yes, thinking there was nothing wrong with it. And the look on her face and the disgust (laughs) uh, was really jarring. And I was like, holy shit. And she started telling me about, you know, how it felt for her. Uh, you know, because she had been a sex worker and, and had, you know, been right. por- had been in porn. And, um, and I just never heard anyone talk about it from that perspective before. And it really, sure. it was really jarring for me. And I was like, okay. Um, and I kind of never felt the same way uh, about porn after that. Sure. And so um, I didn't want to, you know, get back into the sexual realm. Um, but, you know, I had these models that, wanted to express themselves more sexually. Mm-hmm. So I did an experiment. I wasn't ready for sex, but I did a book of, of people masturbating. And, cool. um, and it was a good experience. Um, it was very challenging photographically. It, you know, it's quite different than shooting nudes. Um, so it was good stimulation for me because after being a photographer for a long time, you want some challenges. You want some, you know, you want to be forced to, you know, it's sort of almost be a beginner again. 
And it was like that. Um, I had to change everything from the ground up, the kind of cameras I used, the kind of lighting I used, the kind of people I photographed, um, how I interacted with them, everything was different. So it was, it was quite, it was quite exhilarating. And I talked to my models again and they said, you know, that that was a good experience for them, but it would have been even better if, you know, they were able to work with a partner rather than just be by themselves. Mm -hmm. So I agreed, you know, that the next book I would let people, you know, photograph with, with partners if they wanted to. And that's how everything sort of morphed into this sex goddess project. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how it happened. And it all started from finding that stack of Playboys when I was 10. I, my life probably would have been very different had I not found that stack of Playboys. Interesting. Yeah. I remember when I was probably about 12, um, that there was a boy who'd gotten a Playboy, you know, from his father, presumably, or somewhere had just scavenged one. Um, and we rode our bikes around and like, just would like stop and look at this playboy and just like, look at all the different pages. Um, and then if anyone got too close to where we were, we would like panic and then like throw it in someone's backpack and like ride off on our bikes. It was really hilarious. We were in grade seven. Ah, <laughs> uh, and how did it feel or what did it do to you? Um, it did feel weird. Like there was something about seeing an adult's, you know, sexual body, when, you know, you're just sort of coming into this formative time where you're trying to sort of put together, like, what is sex and, like, what what is so desirable about bodies, be they, you know, male or female? Like, what is what is desirable about me? What is desirable about other people that I might want to explore? Those are complicated. You just know that you're being pressured heavily to be heterosexual and pressured heavily to want, you know, women's bodies and to commodify them and objectify them. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, being the nerd that I am, I also read all the articles. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> and, the, and the stories and articles were worse. Um, there are all these yeah. sto stories about, uh, back in those days, I call them stewardesses, just basically mm -hmm. having sex with anyone and just all this easy sex and, you know, threesomes and a lot of anal sex and just a lot of stuff that for 10 years old, this was like, whoa, what the hell? Um, yeah, no, I can see that. I didn't read any of the articles, and when I started reading one of them, I was very uncomfortable and stopped. <laughs> see, you're you're smarter than I am. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah. I definitely made I made a better decision in that moment, probably. Yes, you sure did. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because as an adult now, I'm like threesomes, anal sex, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, but it's as, like... as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's. I think it was just in a different age. I think like mm -hmm. all that stuff, like back in the, you know, for me, this would have this would have been nineteen right. seventy five. Um, <laughs> My bad. Yep, I would have been. I would have been looking in nineteen ninety eight. So yeah, yeah, exactly. That was when I was twelve. Yeah. Thanks for making me feel old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just remember, I'm your elder, so treat me with respect. Okay. <laughs> I always. Okay. Okay. As long as, as long as we're clear on that. So yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, it's yeah. So um, yeah. So thanks, Playboy. Thanks a lot. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm on. You know, I'm on this uh, this very strange journey, and mm -hmm. you know, in some ways, I wish I wasn't on this journey. But in some ways, mm -hmm. I'm I'm very thankful that I am on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
I'm trying to think if there are any other questions I had in and around that uh, topic. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think I have anything. I, I think a question I want to leave the audience with to answer for themselves is this idea of like, who is the sex for? Um, because with queer sex, I think one of the reasons there is so much more turn taking is this idea that when you don't have a roadmap, you need to ask where you want to go. Yeah. And when you start asking that question, sex gets a lot more interesting. I agree. I agree. And I, I think it's not just sex. I think relationships mm -hmm. get, yes. get more interesting because not only are we programmed on how to have sex, but we're programmed on how to have relationships. Yeah. And there's just so many different, there's as many ways to have relationships as the human mind can imagine, but, mm -hmm. and to limit it to these narrow, um, programs, um, to me, it seems a bit sad and, a, and, a, and, a, and a poor use of, of full human potential. So again, I mean, um, you know, you know, hurrah for, you know, for the queer community and all those people that are nonconformist in, in all the different mm -hmm. ways they're nonconformist for dragging the rest of the culture <laughs> along progressively to something better, hopefully. Yeah. And sometimes they're dragging the rest of the culture, kicking and screaming, but at least, sure. you know, yeah. Um, so again, you know, talking about the future, I, you know, I look towards a happier future where we are much more fluid and open-minded not only about sex, but just how we relate to each other and what kind of relationships, mm -hmm. you know, we have. And also just not to get locked into a relationship because just because a relationship starts one way mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. We should, right. we should be fluid through, you know, well, this is just my opinion. We should be fluid throughout the life of, you know, of a relationship. I mean, I, I'm a relationship anarchist, a non-hierarchical polyamorous relationship anarchist. So from my perspective, I'm like, yeah, preach. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I also want to, I do want to make the distinction that just because we're, I'm, I think I'm essentially saying the same thing you're saying, that, uh, you know, confining human sexuality and relationships to a very narrow spread of things feels like a crime just because we're introducing all these new things doesn't mean you're not allowed to go and have missionary sex, heterosexual penis and vagina. You can go do that. Like, that's fine. Like, I'm not saying people shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that having a wider breadth of options benefits everybody. Well, I think, you know, if we equate it to food, if all mm -hmm. we thought we could eat were like hamburgers and French fries and cheesecake and just some like really sort of, you know, limited, regular, limited, yeah. regular menu. And we didn't, you know, explore things like tofu and tempeh and, you know, whatever pad thai or you know, all sure. In Indian dosas or curries or like, Oh yeah. Dosa is a good example. You just made me hungry. Um, <laughs> dosa factory. Here I come. Um, yeah, you know, it's delicious. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's my people's food. That's the Tamil from the South. Oh yeah. It's delicious. And, Mondays is two for one. Uh, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing a commercial for how you know for House of Dosas. Mondays two for one dosas. Every House Monday. of Dosas is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Um, and the Dosa Factory is good too. I don't mean to leave them out, but yeah, I mean, sure. um, we should. Yeah, we should have. We should feel like we have access to a full menu of of options, and that is the better future. And and sure. uh, I'm I'm happy to see that we're progressing towards it. 
And some people will eat fries every day and that's cool. It's just that having all these other options means occasionally you can go and have, you know, Tom Kagai and be like, this is delicious. <laughs> totally. <laughs> to each their own. Yeah. To each their own. To each their own. And some people want hot and sour soup every day. Okay. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the food example is a fun one. I appreciate that. I, I love, I'll always love giving food examples cause, uh, you know, who doesn't like food? <laughs> it's true. It's true. And diversity of food. Like, and I think that's so human. That is so human. Although I, you know, I do know someone that has, uh, chicken strips and, and, uh, and pizza almost every day. Wow. Uh-huh. I mean, those are delicious foods, uh-huh. but every day. Yep. Every day. That's a lot of chicken strips. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a and chicken. Do, that's they, a... do they at least, at least do they have dipping sauces? Uh, yes. Um, ranch, okay. ranch, ranch dressing, dipping sauce. Every time? Or every... have they changed up? No. Every time. Boy, I can't do it. <laughs> not, to, not to yuck their yum. Cause that was yucking their yum. But I'm like, Oh, come on, Victor. Where's your tolerance? Where's your tolerance? <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I include the ranch dressing lovers? Be inclusive. Be inclusive. Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Love, love that ranch. Love it. Love it. Uh, I'm going to get canceled on social media by the ranch lobby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're in trouble. Me too. Me too. Me too. We're both. We're both, we're both craft is coming for us. Uh, we're in trouble. Oh, my goodness. We're in trouble. But, that's, you know. That's okay. We can out them as the smoking company they are. Exactly, and you know, you know, the dosa, dosa people might pay for, pay, <laughs> might might pay, might pay our legal bills. So it might be. Oh, okay. I appreciate that. I yeah, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, if we'll turn to House of Doses. They'll save us. Yes, exactly. They'll save us all. I mean, I think that's one of the best. I think doses is one of the best hope for humanity. I like that. I, I appreciate that. You know, it can be used used as a great food if you leave it until it gets hard and old. You can use it as a cudgel. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so many uses. So many uses, for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. It's it's always lovely to talk to you, Ricardo. Oh, it's great talking to you. And thank, thank you. Thank you very much. This has been great. So how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com slash Intimate Victor. You can tweet me at Intimate Victor. You can follow me on Instagram at Intimate Victor pretty easy, right? If you can spare the cost of a cup of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a good review anywhere online, especially iTunes. The opening music is on hold for you made of algorithmically generated notes and chords and played by an AI saxophonist. This closing music is Gymnopédie, number one, by Eric Satie. Both are provided royalty-free courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time, and may your most important relationships be filled with intimate interactions. Be well. <laughs>